Welcome to the Switch RPG Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Just Gianni, and I am not joined by Geo. Geo is currently embarked on a side quest, but I am joined by Evan. Hello, Evan. How's it going? It's going uh, good. I, I, I like to think of myself as like inverted Geo, you know, blonde beard and everything like that. So hopefully I can give you some uh, takes that are very different from his. Okay. If this is your first time listening, this is the show from SwitchRPG.com, where we bring you all the latest in the world of RPGs on the Nintendo Switch. This week, we're talking about Monster Hunter Rise! And then other stuff. (laughs) But first, Evan, what have you been playing? Uh, That's a great question. And actually, um, earlier on Twitter today, I kind of uh, put out a a little uh, thread of of what I've been working on. Um, But, you know, I've noticed that as much as I love RPGs, I I do need to take a break from time to time. And I'm quite a puzzler uh, fan. So I have been working through uh, Cube 2, uh, which is a sequel to... Uh, unsurprisingly, Cube 1, um, or actually, it's just Cube. Uh, in any case, it's a first-person puzzler, um, very similar in style uh, to Portal in some ways, physics-based, um, and you've got some manipulation. Rather than creating portals, you are summoning different kinds of cubes, um, and they do different things. Uh, very different gameplay uh, from the original, actually. The original, to me, felt a lot like uh, a tech demo of sorts. Um, But this is really refined, looks a whole lot better than the original game. The story is whatever. Um, You are encountering a deity of cubes, (laughs) uh, which your mileage may vary. But uh, it's it's been a really enjoyable uh, play so far. I think I'm nearing the end, but, um, you know, I've been enjoying it. Um, just in terms of some other stuff, uh, I'm always working through dicey dungeons, which, uh, is, is a great sort of roguelike, uh, dice based game. Uh, are you familiar with, uh, you know, the sort of tabletop roguelike, uh, stuff like Slay the Spire? Um, yes, but, um, Slay the Spire is that, that one's, it, Typically, roguelikes have uh, exploration as like a as a key element, and Slate as far as not really an exploration based roguelike, but it definitely has rogue like elements or light. I don't know. Sometimes people like to use uh, those two interchangeably. I mean, that's a topic that c- could be the entire you know uh, subject of a of a podcast. Um, yeah. You know, to to me, roguelike you know really does mean that your run uh, is is one and done. Right, you're not really yep. carrying over progress, um, and yeah, I suppose Slay the Spire, you unlock some more cards the more you play. Um, but Dicey Dungeons, uh, a little bit different. Um, obviously, it's dice based, um, and you're using dice to 
you're using the numbers on your dice to complete certain actions or equipment that you that you get. Um, and it's different from Slay the Spire in that there's sort of scenarios for each of the playable characters. First off, it's got a whole lot more playable characters than Slay the Spire does. I think there's six uh, in total. Um, and they all do different things. They roll dice in, in different ways. Um, it's it's a really cute game. It's got an amazing soundtrack, honestly. Like, if there is one thing that you should do, it's it's listen to the the soundtrack. It's it's really awesome. Um, but unlike Slay the Spire, which is kind of you know you can sign in and do your dailies, or you can just keep trying to uh, ascend higher and higher. Uh, this is you know once you've completed all of these scenarios, you've kind of finished the entire game. Uh, so. I don't really see myself kind of coming back to this one a whole lot. Um, I'm, you know, slowly chipping away at each of the campaigns, but it's still a really fun game. And I would love to see the systems kind of integrated into something else. Um, I was really going to try to talk about uh, Hellpoint. Um, you know, I was hoping that we would have another guest on here to talk a little bit more about that. But uh, I haven't really started it yet at all, but I'm hoping to, to get into it. Um, okay. And... Uh, you know, I'm also, I, I downloaded the DLC, the Myth of the Eastern Realm, uh, for, uh, Phoenix Immortals Rising, Immortals Phoenix Rising. Oh God, that title just makes me so upset. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. I, I, yeah. I talked to, uh, I just, we discussed it on a, Geo and I on a podcast, I don't know, like months ago or something like that. And I said, if you remove any one of the three terms that are in the title, you got yourself a good title. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. But uh, they they went, the, <laughs> they didn't know when to stop. Oh. Those those folks at uh, just, Ubisoft just one too many. Yeah, but uh, I played just uh, kind of the opening moments of Myths of the Eastern Realm, um, and I like it. You know, it's I I think it's really commendable, and and this is something that I, I guess. It, to me is the most appealing element of uh of kind of the ubisoft vein of open world games is that they do strive for a semblance of historical uh relevance and and uh reverence maybe even um uh, because you know uh, the the base game of uh immortals is it's very, you know, much centered around Greek mythology, right? And if you've played um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, you, you're probably familiar with a lot of the content that they're going to be talking about. Um, I think that, you know, Greek mythology is something that we we just hear about uh, in, in general. But um, with this DLC, you are delving into uh, Chinese mythology, and it's something that maybe That's not everybody is... Yeah, not everybody is as as familiar with it. Um, is, is it still so, with the same main character? No. Yeah. So you you're playing as a a, a completely new character who I forget uh, his name, um, but I think and I you know I, I would definitely uh, fact check this, but uh, the the studio that developed this uh, is a, a sort of Chinese based uh, Ubisoft studio. That developed the DLC or developed the the full game itself. That developed the DLC. Um, okay. It's it's kind of it's pretty uh, 
directly emblazoned when you first see the the title credits um, roll. And so I I would assume that they probably got some assets and things like that from uh, the the original uh, dev team um, because combat is really similar. Uh, the the combo mechanic though uh, the, the combo mechanic in um, the the base game is fine. Uh, I I don't really I don't tend to to focus on it all that much, but the combo mechanic in uh, the DLC is actually really inventive, um, which you kind of unlock. Uh, these greater forms of your special attacks, the higher that your 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 combo rises. Um, so it gives a kind of unique flair to combat. But you know, for the most part, this is it's more immortals, which if you like uh, sort of discount uh, breath of the wild gameplay and discovery and stuff like that. And that's kind of a, a harsh thing to say. it's it's similar in a, in a lot of ways. but there are there are some things about immortals that I just, personally don't really jive with me all that much i've written about it uh, for the site but it's still good uh and i'm actually really enjoying this uh this different sort of flavor of uh of storytelling and mythology and what else have you been playing um i have just finished up uh reviewing um both undermine uh, and Iris the Giant, which I'm going to be putting a review together for the, the site uh, fairly soon, which, an, again, another sort of tabletop-ish game, um, card-based uh, deck-building RPG. Um, I should say that's Iris and the Giant, not Undermine. It's a very, very different uh, sort of game. Um, and Iris is great. Uh, it's it's pretty straightforward. I think I, I kind of felt that I ended up beating the game by chance. Because um, you you unlock these uh, these bonuses by just continuing to do runs, and the the bonus that I got for my next run was just like really allowed me to to steamroll the game. But uh, it's it's really uh, very fun. It can look a little daunting at first, and the storytelling is okay. I think it's got a lot of heart to it. Um, but yeah, just a, a fantastic uh, little roguelite uh experience and undermine i mean i i guess i didn't i didn't prepare myself for how much i'd be talking about roguelikes um, uh, on this podcast but uh undermine is under fine <laughs> is it is it on the action side or is it on the turn-based side of roguelike it is it's more in the vein of binding of isaac of enter the gungeon uh, so yeah, it's it's top down uh, exploration, dungeon delving sort of stuff. Is the, um, so with those games, they have their twin stick shooter elements in there. Is it the same thing, twin stick? Uh, not so much. Or are so we talking something this, like Hades? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a little bit more like. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't really compare it to Hades either. Um, uh, essentially, you're you are a miner who is who is delving into this undermine uh, place, uh, and so you've got a pickaxe. That's your only uh, attack option, and you can throw it, um, and it can kind of boomerang back to you. Uh, and you can play with how, based on the uh, the boons or the the sort of artifacts that you acquire, you can change how that throw might work. Um, you can also enhance uh, the the power of that as well. 
but uh, it, it's it's pretty basic in terms of the the options that are available to the player. Uh, it's got a jump mechanic, which is a little bit too floaty for my tastes. Um, and really, when you swing at things with your pickaxe, you kind of get rooted uh, in into place. So you need to be very mindful about when you're going to be using that attack option. Um, otherwise, you really just want to kind of throw your pickaxe. But um, I would say if you're looking for a unique roguelike uh, or even a roguelite, uh, there's other stuff out there that uh, is, is, is going to offer you something really different. I think that this is a very basic sort of game, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, if you're just looking for something to you know, continue running on and also, you know, slowly progress through because uh, it's it's a roguelite in that you really are building up currency and stuff like that uh, to enhance your character. It's a it's a fine option. Um, the last thing that I would just mention is I've started Haven. And the game bakers, you know, uh, makers of uh, Fury, which a lot of people uh, have, have played and enjoyed uh, from an action standpoint. Uh, this is their kind of take on an RPG, but also just like, I don't know, a chill relationship building planet spanning exploration game. I don't really know how to describe Haven, to be honest, uh, but it's very, very heavily centered around its two main characters who are a couple um, who are on a, a planet uh, for their own reasons. Um, and you kind of grow their relationship and, and see their relationship play out while you're also kind of participating in these weird active turn-based battle things. It's hard to describe. I'm still a little early into it. Yeah, I remember uh, seeing gameplay of that game. It, it looks good, but it also looks a little bit too... Um simplistic on gameplay mechanics um for regarding like rpg stuff it certainly has exploration uh and it has story uh it just um is lacking on lacking depth seemingly lacking depth on on sort of the combat mechanics type stuff or or conflict mechanics because i don't i don't know if i want to call it combat yeah that's that's actually a, a really good way to to put it and in terms of character progression, I think it's a pretty slow burn. Um, so, you know, I've maybe sunk about three or four hours into it, but I don't really feel like I've gotten very far. And I, I don't really see, based on the options that are available to me right now, I don't see how the combat can improve or iterate on itself, but that might be something that happens in, in time. We'll see. Uh, so far, the art... It's very pretty. Um, the characters are are pretty decent. Um, you know, if you're looking for a a nice, you know, I don't know. I, I guess it's it's not a very difficult game, uh, is is what I'd say. Uh, the combat doesn't really provide much of a challenge. But uh, if you're looking to relax with a, a couple of characters and maybe see them um, do some relationship stuff, it's it's worth a look. Cool. So, well, are you done? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I was just going to ask. Um, I see that you've you've 
been working on a game that I have really mixed feelings about, so I, I would I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts. Okay, so uh, I've been working on Final Fantasy XII: The Zodiac Age. I did mention a few podcasts ago that I it's on my to do list, and I have started to do it, and. It is an interesting game. It's definitely not going to be my favorite Final Fantasy, but it will be on the top of my favorite Final Fantasies because I don't favorite Final Fantasy all that much. (laughs) Uh, It's a quirky game. Uh, The combat... The gambit system's great, and the gambit system's what makes the combat great because you can just speed through the combat if you fine-tune your gamut system proper. Uh, and that's kind of most of the game is pretty much going to be doing a whole lot of combat-y, grindy stuff. And I would say this. I would not be playing this game if it didn't have that four times speed-up option. That has oh, made God. this game a godsend. A godsend. I, I, I'm actually enjoying my time going through. I do like the character progression system, too, where it's kind of like a chessboard, and you're stepping through and unlocking nodes on the chessboard uh, that have associated abilities with it. But it, it's it's very... It's very slow-paced on character progression. You're, the things you unlock are... You have to unlock the ability to use the next weapon <laughs> and the next piece of headgear... Uh, or 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 armor or accessory. You have, you have to sort of spend this whole licensing point system thing in order to just unlock one, or may, maybe it'll be lump sum. There might be like two or three different like accessories tied to one node, but that'll be it. It'll be just those, and then you have to spend more points that isn't trivial to spend in order to unlock the next set of accessories or or weapons, and the weapon would be only, like, one or two weapons of the same type, right? It would be like, uh, you get the option between this bow or that bow, which will last you for the next, like, five to ten levels, and then you're going to out-level it, and you're, you're going to have to unlock the next node, which is fine. It's fine. It's just a little bit slower pace, but it's fine. I actually like that progression system, especially when you unlock multiple boards that you can sort of progress through at the same time. Uh, it's, um, and I definitely, I would say this, the combat system is the best of the mainline Final Fantasies that I've played, and I've played a lot. Uh, and I actually do like it more so than Final Fantasy VII Remake, because it's it's a bit more nuanced. It's this very nice in-between of turn-based and real-time that Final Fantasy VII felt like just going full-blown real-time was was a necessity, and there was, it just felt like there was also like balancing issues with going full-blown real-time on, on Final Fantasy VII. Uh, so it's kind of a mixture. This one also has its own little weird quirks and issues and stuff like that, but it's, it's good because it's, it's definitely turn-based, but it's also real-time. And it, it's got that whole, like, pause the action as it's happening in real-time mechanic um, that's kind of cognizant of uh, CRPG-type uh, type elements. 
Yeah, you know, I was I yep. was gonna say um, that the the way you you just started talking about things and and talking about the gambit system in in particular, which to me it's like ugh, like I get why it exists and it's a really cool concept. It's just I I think mixing the gambit system with the character progression system makes this game just like a, a step more tedious than it needs to be. Um, but to your point, just saying that this is really um, reminiscent of CRPGs. It, I, I never really looked at it that way when I was first playing through it, but now I totally get that idea because um, you know it's got this this huge real time with pause uh, element to it. Um, it's it's actually really refreshing to to hear a perspective like this. And um, I mean, I haven't played uh, Seven Remake personally, but uh, and I know some people who have, so I'm fairly certain you might get uh, blasted for for that opinion. No, um, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Final Fantasy has never been a great franchise gameplay wise. Uh, it's it definitely has great stories. It's definitely got great graphics, phenomenal soundtrack. But when it comes to like core gameplay, it's just been done better in other turn-based and non-turn-based RPGs, just across the board. Uh, even Final Fantasy has done better than Final Fantasy. And by that, I mean Final Fantasy Tactics, which is the best Final Fantasy, no questions asked. No one can even refute that. Mechanically, combat-wise, it is the best Final Fantasy has ever been and played, especially for turn-based Final Fantasies. No one can doubt me on that. <laughs> <laughs> There, there's a whole lot of, of stuff that I could say about that, but I actually don't have a whole lot of experience with tactics in particular, so I'm that's, just going to zip See, my that's lip. the thing. That's the thing. Right. A lot of people, uh, they they hold um, Final Fantasy uh, 6 and and 7 and 9 and uh, 10 sometimes um, to, to, like, high regard, but they don't play tactics... And that's where they they fail because um, there's there's an element in turn-based RPGs, and this is just a general thing. This goes to like most turn-based RPGs out there. The whole aspect of of spatial awareness is lost. It doesn't matter about positioning is is a non-thing. Yes, Final Fantasy what was it five and four? I think you had like a front row, back row type of setup. It didn't matter. It didn't really matter. It was negligible. That wasn't really much of a, a spacing type thing they had to be cognizant of and dynamic with. But then you go into, and this is like other tons of RPGs have, have that, right? Where it's just, it doesn't matter where you place your characters, to, you know, positioning doesn't matter. But then you have Final Fantasy Tactics and other tactics styles games where they do add that spatial proximity and that that spatial awareness aspect and it just completely opens the door to a massive untapped uh level of nuance and complexity in a good way in depth in a good way where strategy really does become a thing and that's strategy and in, in sort of um, adding that that additional layer of depth strategy wise to a turn-based game should be welcomed because without that extra nuance to strategy, it becomes trivial. Where where you can just make, uh, for example, in Final Fantasy XI, uh, you can set your gamuts to just auto attack, 
and you're pretty much going to kill everything with just auto attack and auto, you know, auto throw potion or heal at characters, and uh, you'll just for regular fodder, just just grinding. You can just autopilot that and just run around the the field and just grind like crazy, and your characters will just do what they're supposed to do. The the amount of sort of thought and foresight and reaction is very very limited, uh, and that applies to most turn-based RPGs where uh, where the sort of that reactionary element where you have to adapt to the strategies and tactics and sort of the 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 events that unfold in the battlefield it it isn't really there or at the level of uh, of nuance that it typically does happen in well-executed tactics games so Sure. I, I think what you're you talk about uh, in terms of and the, the way that I, I tend to boil these uh, topics down is the economy of space, right? Which is uh, really what what tactics, um, what strategy games hopefully uh, tend to deal with, um, and you know accounting for that in in your gameplay environment is is hugely important. Um, but also the ebb and flow of combat too, uh, I think is is a huge you know, part of appealing uh, just combat systems in general. And yeah. the, the the Gambit system, while I appreciate being able to plan ahead for just about anything, um, it sort of trivializes the feeling of there being an ebb and flow to combat. Um, well, I, I, I'm totally with you. It does trivialize it because you can kind of just figure out figure out the optimal sort of uh, gambit setup. But to me, that's not a uh, flaw of the gambit system. That's a flaw of just turn-based combat in in a way where positioning doesn't really matter. That That's where the floor is. And yes, positioning does matter a little bit in um, Final Fantasy XII, um, but it's, it's still kind of relatively trivial uh, because area-based attacks, the area that they sort of hit and expand to is kind of large, and if you are attacking an enemy with, I guess, uh, if you're using a range weapon, then you might be out of range of, of most abilities and attacks, but uh, not all of them, and it's that they didn't execute well on, the, on that whole like spatial part, because it is a factor. It definitely is something that's there, but it's not something that you optimize with. So it's, it still has sort of these lingering elements, this sort of hybrid. It, it does feel like a hybrid of uh, of what of the tactical strategy elements that you'd get in a tactics in a typical tactics game, and uh, the sort of uh, abstraction that you of that uh, of of a more nuanced, realistic combat playout, uh, realistic and in a world that has fantasy fireballs all over the place. Uh, uh, so that abstraction of how combat would unfurl in a fantasy world uh, that you typically get in uh, fantasy, uh, or Final Fantasy, you know, typical, traditional, turn-based uh, RPGs. Uh, because positioning, like I said, positioning and, and, and spatial awareness uh, are not really uh, factors that, that need to be considered by the so it does have, as I said, it does have some of that in there, but uh, yeah, like trivializing it is, yes, it does trivialize it, but 
it doesn't trivialize it any more than what would otherwise still be trivial in other RPGs. Uh, For sure. In in other turn-based RPGs. Um, or turn-based RPGs that aren't that that aren't more nuanced in their combat mechanics. There are, uh, for example, um, there was a turn-based RPG, uh, Radiant Historia, uh, which does have uh, spatial awareness regarding the enemies and where they're placed in position. That does have an impact on things. So that's, to me, that's the extra level, uh, the extra layer that is needed in in nuanced complexity for turn-based, traditional turn-based RPGs. Uh, and I think they executed that pretty well in Radiant Historia. And they didn't even go into, they didn't go into like overly nuanced, overly complex uh, side of things. It, it just added uh, the right amount to make things relevant to where you have to sort of add this extra puzzle solving element for how you're going to handle your turns and sequencing and stuff like that. So it's got that. So anyway, uh, <laughs> going off on crazy tangents. Uh, I'm still going through uh, Final Fantasy XII, but I am not done with it yet. I, I'm probably about halfway through the game, but that's on pause because Monster Hunter Rise came out last week, and oh my goodness, Monster Hunter Rise, it has been or a week and a half ago. It's been a while. Uh, it, it is the answer to all my prayers. That's it. I can die happy. The game is absolutely incredible. But we'll talk about that a bit more. And I, what I will say, though, is I finished Monster Hunter Rise. And by finished, what I mean is I got the first credit roll. I'm anticipating a second credit roll. Do you have Monster Hunter Rise, by the way? Uh, I don't. I'm a big Monster Hunter fan, uh, so this might sound like sacrilege. It uh, is. <laughs> I played the demo. Uh, I enjoyed the demo. I, I have some thoughts about um, the improvements, the the alterations to uh, the the combat system. Um, but I I get what you're talking about. Um, you've you've completed the quote unquote single player portion uh, of the game, um, which I, I think recently uh, Capcom has has done a better job at truncating that experience somewhat. Um, so that you can get to the the real meat of the title, which is, of course, you know, hunting online. Uh, so I'm I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, you know, well, we'll share more of that in a bit as we get into the main topic. But for now, let's talk about some news. And first up is uh, there's been a new game announcement that I'm aware of. Uh, there might have been others that I might have missed. But uh, did you uh, hear about this game? It's called uh, Astrea Ascending. And it's That's, apparently uh, by uh, world-class JRPG developers. It's coming out, let's see, sometime this year on Switch. I uh, did actually take a look uh, at this uh, title. I, I saw the announcement of it. Uh, and... You know, as as far as things go, I mean, what I will say is it looks gorgeous. You know, a lovely uh, hand-drawn sort of art style. Um, you've got, I guess, some 2D uh, exploration um, in terms of environments and things like that. And I don't really know the extent of the combat system. I don't know if it's, it's uh, pure turn-based or uh, you've got some ATB stuff going on here or, or what have you. But... Uh, 
I mean, it's it's a very nice looking game. You know, it's always good to see uh, individuals um, from uh, veterans uh, working working on new new stuff. Um, you know, some of these names here. Uh, uh, I want to say Kazushi- uh, Kazushige uh, Nojima. Um, has worked on Final Fantasy VII. I'm not really familiar uh, with his work all that much. Um, and Hitoshi Sakamoto uh, is composing. Uh, and he worked on, I believe, uh, 13 Sentinels, which I know a lot of people have have uh, showered with praise uh, over yes. the past year. I so, th- That includes me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it... It's a it's a good looking uh, title, you know the 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 title art in particular really does uh, evoke that uh, Amano esque uh, Final Fantasy uh, title um, with the with the art and everything behind the logo. But um, yeah. you know, I, I'm I'm curious to see what it what it ends up looking like. I'm curious to see what the price point's going to be too, um, just because with a lot of these uh, hand drawn um, works. You know, you tend to have a lot more uh, art assets and and time being dedicated to that. And I mean, I would say that the game does look really good. Um, but you know, being uh, and, and I don't want to say you know, I, I know that it's coming to Game Pass uh, in particular. Um, but I, I wonder, just in terms of playtime, uh, in, in terms of what's what's going on with this and and what uh, sort of price point it, it might be set at uh, i mean personally if it if it delivers a story and gameplay as good as 13 sentinels which was a full-blown 60 dollar price tag i am still gonna be all for it right yeah to me the price I mean, tag doesn't matter because uh as long as the quality is there and 13 Sentinels had the quality, and the game itself was, I think I beat it in certainly less than 50 hours. I can't remember how long it took, but it was a less than 50-hour game, and I platinumed it, which means I kind of went through all the, pretty much all the content. So um, I felt like I got my money's worth, even though it's not the biggest budget and the biggest sort of bells and whistles and things being thrown at you. And this game... They have people, as you said, uh, Vanillaware, uh, in, in, uh, specifically, uh, working on this. And there are some definite elements here that, that kind of look like uh, it's using, I don't know, the same engine and maybe some of the same artists as, uh, as 13 Sentinels. But there is crossover. Yeah, and you know, I'm actually just gonna do a little bit more research as we talk right now, um, yeah. because uh, you know, f- first things first, I'm a, I'm a, I'm just a big advocate uh, for Vanillaware uh, in particular. Um, I haven't played a whole lot of their titles. Um, you know, actually, really, the only, the only one I have a whole lot of experience with is. Um, Oh, Muramasa, the Demon Muramasa, Blade. Muramasa, the Demon Blade. Great game. Yeah, um, which I, I loved. I, th- I thought it was a, a great uh, sort of RPG, uh, Egovania uh, sort of a title. Um, yeah, but, very, very light on the Egovania. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, just more really kind of traversing across a world. Um, 
And, you know, again, in terms of, of what this game looks like, in, in terms of the, the animations and the art style in particular, uh, it does evoke that sort of Vanillaware-esque um, uh, experience. But I don't know, is, is, it being, uh, is it being developed by them? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it looks like it's, it's a team of, of a bunch of different randomized, uh, pseudo-randomized uh, Japanese developers that sort of got together, kind of almost like a, uh, like a Chrono Trigger moment, although I'm not saying that this is going to be at that quality, uh, but yeah, it, it kind of feels words. like a mishmash of individuals getting together to just create this, this weird game. But I will say, uh, what they showed off on the trailer itself, there are some bits of it. It does look good, but there are some bits of it where you know it gives me a little bit of hesitation to sort of uh, to look forward to this game. I'm cautiously optimistic about this game uh, because if you look at the trailer, you can notice um, yes, the characters look good and the background environment looks good, but there's a lot of staticness in in the scenes and in in the video how they play out meaning there isn't much the environments that are being portrayed aren't really uh all that dynamic and moving and in full of motion and animation uh Mm. there are some for example the, the battle one of one of the battles that they showed in the um uh in the trailer that does have some uh sort of moving gears in the background so uh, and there's another one with like a waterfall that's animated. So the more they sort of develop this, uh, that's that's the hesitance, right? Like they need to sort of really ma- make the world immersive and lively. And the only way to do that is with animation and and sort of a squishiness, add squishiness to the game. Uh, so I I just really hope that they uh, amp that up, and, and that that's sort of part of kind of like the polish of a game uh, and and nail that so that it doesn't look like it has this sort of a lower budget uh, feel to it. Because that can really separate, you know, uh, the feel uh, for the player. And I would say that the combat system looks to be a turn-based combat system. That's what it looks like to me on on the trailer. Yeah, and, you know, again, uh, a lot of those details, those aesthetic details that you mentioned, those are things that... Uh, Vanillaware in particular, uh, if, if you ever play any of their games, uh, they they bring a lot of life to their backgrounds. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, this this reminds me of I played uh, very early uh, in the Switch's life. Well, actually, maybe a year or two ago, um, I played Super Neptunia RPG, which I'm not a Neptunia fan. Uh, I just want to put that out there. Uh, just because I played this for the, for the site does not mean I'm a fan of these games in any way, shape, or form. Um, but yes, uh, a full budget release that had very static backgrounds and did I, I feel cheapen the effect uh, in some ways. Yeah. So that that again makes me think of you know uh, what the what the overall quality is going to feel like in terms of 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 what we're seeing from the aesthetics. But I mean does look like uh it it's definitely looks like something to to keep your eyes out for. Yeah, and I just want to mention one last little thing. Something unique that uh w- attracted probably probably everyone that sort of watched this uh video and or screenshots of the game. The game is 2D, uh which you said, but it's two it takes place on a horizontal scrolling side scroller perspective. So it's not uh, sort of the traditional uh, uh, bird's eye view, top-down perspective. 
right? It's a side-scroller. We're talking like Zelda 2, Muramasa, the Demon Blade, right? That kind of side-scroller perspective, which we've seen done in like Castlevania, Metroidvania-style games, but for a turn-based, well, it looks to be a turn-based game, I, ha- I can't really think of too many side-scrolling uh, RPGs that has a turn-based combat system rather than an action-based combat system, so... I mean, one that comes to mind uh, for me, a, a flawed product, but one that I have a lot of history with is Child of Light by Ubisoft, Yep. yep. Um, which uh, I have really mixed feelings about. I, I think my love-hate relationship with that game airs more on the love because I can't seem to stop talking about it for some reason. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it is. It, it, it's always nice to see. Uh, developers kind of playing with perspectives and you know again just because this is a a 2d side scroller rpg that doesn't uh, detract from the quality of it in any way but i am wondering how you know if we're going to be looking at a a large world if if we're going to see some sort of uh, world map or something like that and those are things that of course we'll probably have to get our hands on the game in order to discern yeah all right, so moving on, uh, let's let's quickly go through some uh, news items in, in the rundown section. First up, uh, let's see here. Monster Hunter Rise has had the third best re- retail launch for the Nintendo Switch. And there's no extra qualifier there, so it's, it's the third best third-party retail uh, release for the ever. For the Switch, which is huge in in Japan. Uh, yes, yes, in Japan, and that that is a massive thing because they're also considering. Uh, looks like I don't know if I'm reading this right, but it sounds like Pokemon is considered a a uh, third party. Had to, oh, third best. Oh wait, not even third party. This is. All of them, just in so general. This, yeah. in, this includes uh, all the Nintendo uh, first-party stuff too. So that's incredible because, as we know, Animal Crossing is the number one best-selling Switch game in Japan. Pokemon is a big, massive thing, and this is number three, just like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. I think that is uh, very indicative of how. People were really chomping at the bit for a new uh, Monster Hunter game. A new Um, proper Monster Hunter on Switch. Right. Um, And, you know, again, during the the course of the 3DS's life, you know, that kind of became a a sort of haven uh, for Monster Hunter fans. Uh, and, And it's, you know, Nintendo has had a really good relationship with Monster Hunter. So... Yeah. I think a lot of people were really waiting for, you know, this this title or some sort of Monster Hunter uh, title that was going to be exclusive. I know that there was Generations Ultimate, which uh, I I kind of skipped out on. I, I missed personally, um, but it it doesn't surprise me that this is a, a big launch for a game. And also, you know, it's important to acknowledge that the player base uh, for a title like this has widened uh in recent years due to the success of world right yeah yeah um, which you know say what you will uh i personally haven't played much of world i would love to play world um but uh i'm i'm really excited uh to see what 
what Rise looks like because in a lot of ways they're saying it's a very big game. Seems like they're going to be, you know, uh, trickling out some monsters and things like that in terms of adding content to the game too. And uh, honestly, if we... <laughs> fingers crossed. If we could forgo the, uh, the Rise Ultimate um, sort of formula of things, if we could just get a, a nice big expansion pack similar to Iceborne uh, for, for Rise, um, I would love that, personally. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you. Although, they are adding stuff free DLC updates, so right. uh, if they can maintain that for as long as possible, that's obviously the, the best of the best, because we buy the game once, we don't have to buy any additional stuff, because they're just giving free stuff in, but I am all for buying more if it's a nice, big, meaty package like uh, Iceborne, something something to that extent. Uh, right. But, uh, yeah, it's selling like hotcakes, and it's going to continue selling like hotcakes. That game is going to be this year's Animal Crossing. Just just mark my words. It's going to surpass 10 million, no problem. No problem whatsoever. Ah. Ten million. <laughs> well, okay. worldwide, worldwide, <laughs> not not Japan only. I'm saying worldwide. Ten million. That's going to be surpassed. It might even already be surpassed. It's it's going to sell like hotcakes. Uh, so next uh, little rundowny is uh, Immortals: Phoenix Rising, uh, and you kind of mentioned this uh, a bit. Uh, it got upgraded into version one point three point zero, and it's available right now. There's stuff in there. You want to go over it? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, just, I mean, uh, Immortals Rising, uh, kind of, uh, I don't want to say a, a sleeper uh, pick for, for last year. You know, a lot of people obviously um, made some comparisons to Breath of the Wild. Um, but, you know, what what we're looking at here is um some some nice patches uh just in terms of improving quests and uh and other elements um but the update uh also gives a, a primer uh quest for the lost gods uh DLC and so they've done this a couple of times previously um the there, there was a patch before that kind of gave a sneak preview at uh, what what you might be experiencing uh, in Myths of the Eastern Realm uh, previously. And uh, I'll be honest, I think that quest kind of wasn't great. <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a quest that you can kind of just discover in the base game and and complete. And yep. it's it's I don't really think it's indicative of the the quality of of what Myths of the Eastern Realm was putting out. Um, and so I'd be curious to see what this primer uh, quest for the Lost Gods is, too, because that, I know, is going to be very different in gameplay style um, to the base game. Right. I, I guess the the thing that I was hesitant about, because I never picked up this game and I was looking forward to it, was um, just the, the final performance uh, of the game on Switch versus... Uh, PS4 and, and PC and whatnot. Um, and it, it just wasn't up to snuff. But according one of the highlights for this patch is there is a stability and performance improvement. So if it's significant enough, 
I hope that uh, Digital Foundry puts up some sort of little uh, uh, double take. Maybe maybe there's uh, some frame rate uh, improvements, or maybe there's some resolution improvements, or cross your fingers, there's both, and that would be great. Yeah, you know, I think in terms of uh, frame rate, I, I didn't really see all that many issues um, with the game. Although, and I should say, uh, you know, I've I've played a good fifty. 60 hours of uh of immortals um and i actually just recently started playing the wii u version of breath of the wild uh and that game has some definite performance issues um so maybe i'm just uh, a, a looking back on things with a little bit of uh recency bias but um i do think resolution uh in terms of, of what you're seeing on switch is is what's going to take the biggest hit uh for the title in particular but i think it plays pretty well um I, I haven't had uh, too many uh, egregious frame rate drops, but um, it's it's a fine game made by professionals. Yeah, yeah. All right. So next on the chopping block is, and I'm so excited for this. Neo, the world ends with you. Is there's going to be some more information coming out, and it looks like it's going to be what day is that? Is that Friday? Is that Friday? It is Friday. On Friday. Yeah which is the 9th of April. We're going to get some The World Ends With You uh, ju- just piping hot information. I have no clue what it's going to be. But they announced it's going to be something. And I'm so excited for it. How excited for you? <laughs> um, I played The World Ends With You uh, on DS back when it first released. and Excellent. I... I mean, I think in many ways that's the definitive version of the game. Uh, even though there is a definitive version on Switch, um, that no. game. Yeah, you're right. It the it, definitive is on DS. Um, but it just it does not play as well um, on the Switch. It really does benefit from that that touchscreen, you know, dual screen action. Um, with that being said, eh, I'm I'm not the biggest World Ends with You uh, fan. Um, I, I can I will say the game's got style uh, out the wazoo. It's it's a very neat uh, sort of game. And honestly, um, I, I think pacing uh, just in terms of, of character dialogue and things like that was a huge issue for me uh, in particular. But I am more than willing to and I'm actually really excited to check out Neo. Um, I I love the aesthetic of the game. I love the setting. Um, it's it is almost like Shin Megami Tensei-ish in nature, where you're kind of you know living in uh, a, a modern Japan and and experiencing the world, but there's some seedy stuff going on underneath. Um, I, well, Shin Megami Tensei is a little bit darker than this, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in just a second. Well, uh, I, but I mean, it it is dark, right? You start the game and you're dead. So right, um, but. Yeah, so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the news. I'd like to see what they're doing with the new combat system. Um, I think uh, it it shocks me. It shocks me that it took this long. Um, yeah, but I'm with you. That's that's all I've I've got to say about that. I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I'm gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna throw caution to the wind on this one. I'm I'm just optimistic. <laughs> I'm just well, optimistic. I, and the combat system going into 3D, yeah, it's it's guaranteed to be different. 
For sure. And I, I just wonder, you know, again, uh, are they going to be ballsy and, and integrate motion or, or touch controls to this? So who knows? Um, I don't really see that working all that well with, with I the hope Switch. They don't. Um, you know, that would that would kind of turn it into a, a, a handheld uh, game. Yeah, they, they shouldn't do that. But uh, yeah, you know the 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 pin system, badge system, whatever you want to call it, uh, neat neat idea, and allows for a lot of expression in combat too. So if they keep that, um, I can see this being an action RPG that uh, that could become a, a sleeper favorite for a lot of people. Yeah, a quirky one, very quirky. All right, so yeah. uh, you, uh, we, speaking of Shin Megami Tensei. Uh, there's a shipment coming Tensei, not, not the one that we all want, but there is one coming out very soon on May 25th, and that is Shimigami Tensei 3 Nocturne HD Remaster. Oh man, that's a big title. Uh, it's coming out May 25th. Are you excited? I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, SMT fan, uh, and I, I should say I'm a huge SMT fan with relatively little um, exposure to the series as a whole. Um, you know, I fell in love with uh, 4, uh, with Devil uh, Survivor. Um, I have, what is it, Ghost Hackers on 3DS as well. Um, and I also have... Uh, Strange Journey on 3DS. So I've played a lot of those handheld uh, installments, and you know, a lot of people have great things to say about Nocturne, so I'm looking forward to it. It's not the one, you're right, it's not the one that I want, but I think maybe it's the one that I need right now. Um, and so I'm looking forward to uh, to playing uh, Nocturne featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series. Yeah. Yeah, well... <laughs> We will see how that turns out. I, uh, this is, uh, I'm just cautious on this one. I'm not optimistic. Although, if it turns out to be a great you know, trend, uh, port and enhancement of the game, and you know, based on the review scores, if it scores well, I will be there. I will be there. Yeah, you know, I've, I mean, this, this comes from an earlier era where uh, SMT was really known for being brutal. And I would say that the more recent releases have eased off on its difficulty a little bit. Um, and I think that's been a good thing in terms of accessibility. So I'm, I know that there's a, a lighter difficulty uh, option in this uh, remaster. Um, but also, I think this might just feel a little bit uh, aged in, in terms of its uh it's it's quality and and the things that it presents to people so i will definitely be getting it there's no way that i'm not but uh <laughs> but uh, i can understand your caution for sure okay all right uh one last little bit on the rundown apparently hellpoint patch for the switch is being certified uh, no official word yet on the DLC, and and there's there's been an interview out there somewhere in the nether, but uh, someone else is going to have to sort of uh, scurry around and find that if you're interested, but we'll talk more on Hellpoint probably sometime in the near future. But for now, we're going to move on to Rumorland, and this was kind of like a weird thing. It was a firmware. This, this is like pseudo non-rumor because this is this is real. Something real that happened is that there was a firmware update for the Switch uh, that updated to 12.0.0, and apparently some data miners out there. 
kind of looked under the hood and noticed that this opens the door to firmware updates for the dock. Something to do with that, which is weird. And that leads into like rumor land speculation, which is kind of what I was thinking, uh, you know, since they first announced the Switch, that the dock itself, if you remember uh, patents that Nintendo filed like, I don't know, probably like 10 years ago, when they had these external compute units, uh, I think that's how they phrased them in the patents, where uh, you'd have the main console uh, doing the graphical pro uh, power uh, prowess, the sort of main sort of grunt work, and then it could leverage these external compute units in order to further enhance. It's, uh, it, it treats it as, a, as a, almost a uh, resource, that, an on-demand resource that it can tap into in order to get some extra bells and whistles cranked out in some sort of means. It was very vague. Uh, most patents are, when they're filed, uh, they're filed in a very vague way so that they can sort of umbrella a whole slew of different possibilities. Uh, and this was uh, a very large umbrella for, for that particular patent. Uh, but the way I saw sort of the, the combination of the things uh, was with the dock itself uh, being having harnessing its own uh, CPU, kind of like uh, for people to sort of think of smart TVs. Uh, a lot of smart TVs now have built-in um, enhancements, video enhancements that they can take to the original signal of things and enhance it. There is a trade-off. I'll, I'll explain what the trade-off is in a little bit. But they can enhance the image and make it look better in some way, where it adds uh, better, smoother motion, uh, at, makes it seem like uh, something that was uh, previously 24 or 30 frames a second to, to some higher sort of refresh rate. Um, it could uh, add some, some degree of upscaling from what would be standard to 4K, that type of stuff. Uh, and these are the types of things that could be very realistic in happening for an external compute unit, a.k.a. the dock, uh, putting a, some sort of processing uh, unit into the dock itself just before, because if we remember, uh, you plug your switch into the dock, and then via the dock, the video goes to the TV. So... The you can think of it like this. The video is hitting the dock first. If the dock has this specialized compute unit in it, it could take that video, that image, uh, and enhance it with additional processing capabilities and then send it out to the TV. And what that opens the door to is it opens the door to upscaling, and there is a technology uh, that NVIDIA cards have, uh, what was it, DLSS or something like that, where it's an AI-based upscaler, where it can take a lower resolution, lower rendered, uh, natively rendered resolution uh, imagery and upscale it uh, and be somewhat decent on, on its upscaling uh, to the point where it doesn't look quite look like it's 4K or 8K or whatever, but it's certainly better looking than what it would have been without the upscaling. Uh, now, the trade-off for something like that and here's, here's where I have to sort of uh, quash the hopes and dreams of people. When you do something like that, you get latency. 
And in the world of gaming, we do not want latency. Latency would be bad. So, I'm not saying we're going to get a whole lot of latency. Maybe, maybe there's some weird uh, technical gymnastics that can be performed. But uh, if we're getting anything beyond three or four frames uh, of latency, that will be very, very bad. Gameplay-wise. Although it does depend on the game, right? If this is a turn-based uh, style game, then having that kind of latency is essentially a non-factor. Because latency really just uh, influence, it just has an input, uh, uh, an impact on input and responsiveness of the game controls. So the only games that would be impacted the most by latency would be action games, fighting games, things that are uh, that have twitchy, that require twitchiness in in user response times. All I've got to say is uh, this is something that might feel like uh, th there's a lot of potential and opportunity, but let's be honest, uh, this is probably uh, existing in preparation for whatever hardware revision is coming out in the future. Um, so all of you who think that there's going to be uh, some sort of improvement to previous releases or even the base uh, switch, I wouldn't get your hopes up, personally. Yep, and you are absolutely right. <laughs> But I was in rumor land, so I could just say the most wildest, fantastic things, and uh, and not be uh, and not be uh, surprised that it doesn't come true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to say. I I try to be as as much of a realist as I possibly can with uh, with things like this. Yep, yep. Uh, the firmware update, just on a realistic uh, level of things. It's probably going to be something along the lines of uh, power draw, and that's kind of it. With additional power, you can do upscaling um, of um, of the CPU, right? Um, so that that's probably where it's going to become a factor. And the CPU, I mean the CPU of the console itself. And the power draw would be the power that the dock provides to the docked uh, switch unit itself if it can draw more power from the wall that you are plugging into via the dock, because the dock would allow it, because the dock is the gateway for that, then you could, in theory, get more um, higher cl uh, clock rate. Um, what's it called? It's called overclock. There we go. That was the word I was looking for. You can kind of overclock your uh, CPU and GPU a bit and your RAM and stuff like that. So maybe I doubt it. Because that that could induce some uh, sort of a safety and and potential um, uh, uh, what was it deterioration? I guess I guess is a word. Mm. So anyway, now we're gonna move on. Let's get out of uh, crazy rumor land and let's go into some newsy stuff. So apparently, the Tokyo Game Show for 2021 is going to be online, and it runs from the 30th of, of September to the 3rd of October. you have any thoughts on this? Um, TGS is it's an event. It occurs. Um, we hear lots of things that uh, get announced and might, might be exciting, uh, and then we don't hear about them for a while. So... I don't know. Um, TGS will be an opportunity for people to show off some more gameplay of things that will will be down the road. Uh, so I'm sure it'll be it'll be like a little 
a cute little E3 part two, the revenge. Um, not, yes. not as intense, <laughs> um, not as intense, probably. Uh, and I want to say the revenge, because we'll probably see a lot of things that are announced or revealed at E3, yep. given a lot, uh, a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit more detail. Yeah, I'm with you. It, it seems like TGS is, uh, it kind of takes a little bit of a backseat because E3 is at the start of the summer and then halfway, a little bit more than halfway through the summer, you have, um, what's the Germany one? Gamescom? Is it Gamescom? I think. Ooh, I'm not even sure, actually. It's the big European one. I believe it's Gamescom. Uh, that one has some fairly big announcements. And then by the time you get to TGS a month-ish later, uh, yeah, the you're, you're kind of getting just uh, Japan-only type stuff. And you do get some interesting announcements there, but um, it most of the time it's the new announcements that you get. You're getting a lot of rehash stuff. And for new stuff, well, you're kind of not really getting too much in the way of new stuff. But sometimes a, a few nuggets come out here and there. I think the first time I heard of 13 Sentinels was due to TGS. I could be very wrong on that. Yeah, which I don't against, know. The, you know, ended up being a sleeper hit for a lot of people. So, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I you you are right in that it's going to be a lot of Japan centric stuff, which, you know, for people like us, that might be exactly the kind of stuff that we want to see. So speaking of E3, they finally uh, sort of lifted their head from the from the sand that it was buried in. And decided, uh, oh, they have a quote here. It says, game on. End of quote. <laughs> so uh, there's a bigger quote, but essentially they said, yep, they're going to, they're going to, there's going to be an E3 and it'll be an online only event, which is fine because as far as I'm concerned, the only way I experienced E3 was via online. So this is a win for me because last year I was robbed of E3. You were robbed. We were all robbed of a legitimate E3 experience. Yeah, that's uh, that is a, a dream of mine is to actually attend E3. But um, you know, previous in previous years, obviously we've seen Nintendo, um, you know, really err towards a digital format. So I don't think that this will be too groundbreaking uh, in particular uh, in regards to what they're going to bring to the table. Um, my only hope is that we really do get a chance uh, as members of the press um, that we get some sort of, uh, there was, I think, middle of the Wii U's life, they they pushed this concept of uh, Nindies at Home, where you could download uh, a whole set of demos for a lot of indie uh, titles that were going to be released on Wii U. Um, and I believe it was right around E3. Um, Obviously, that takes a lot of legwork to coordinate, and not everybody is going to have a demo prepared for uh, what a press conference that's going to happen in like two-ish months. Yep. <laughs> so, um, you know, th that would be the the most appealing and ideal uh, outcome. But I think more or less we should just expect uh, to see something more traditional in terms of of what Nintendo's been doing for the last few years. Yeah, uh, and I would like to just raise this little side perspective 
thing of, and it, it's kind of stemming off of what you said about uh, playable demos, or the lack thereof, because this will be a digital-only type of uh, presentation, we might see a resurgence of uh, fake, <laughs> fake videos, fake presentations, fake gameplay. Uh, there have been a few studios uh, across the board that have shown games running way better and looking way better than than the actual delivered product uh that has happened uh ubisoft has done it uh various sony studios have done it i mean microsoft uh various studios have done it. i mean it's been done kind of across the board uh pick and choose and maybe they're guilty of doing something like that so this opens the door for something for that type of uh shame on you type of uh tactics to occur marketing uh, bits to occur. So uh, if it looks too good to be true, uh, maybe it is. Uh, you can kind of tell whether something's gameplay or not based on how well choreographed the presentation of things are. So if it looks too well choreographed, then yeah, it's probably faked up uh, a bit. How much faked up? Well, well, we'll have to wait and see until, you know, People in the press, media, etc., demos and stuff like that uh, become playable for others. I mean, just look oh, yeah. at a oh, great example is uh, what's that game that came out that everyone's hoping for to be the next the 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 big game to rule them all RPG Cyberpunk 2077. I was gonna say it, but <laughs> and that was playable, and everyone was praising it. And then it became playable for realsies for everyone. And oh man, was that bad. That was so bad. Yeah, playable on, on certain uh, you know consoles and things like that. But the I had it on the best. I had it on PC. And it was still bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we could talk. <laughs> we, that, that could be a subject of a, a whole podcast, you know, oh, cyberpunk. Yeah. And, uh, you know, here's hoping... You know, I, I don't condone any sort of behavior regarding, uh, you know, people. Uh, studios. Hacking studios or, or sending death threats to these people. I, I hope, you know, see. Uh, CD Project Red? Project yep. CD Red? Again, uh, CD Project Red. Rising. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I hope that they can crawl crawl back and, and and scrape their way back into the hearts of of uh, others um you know i think they just did release a, a pretty substantial patch too for the game but it might be a, uh, too little too late and yeah. uh yeah. Th that's always a shame to see but you know play stupid games you win stupid prizes um <laughs> you know yeah. so if, if you're gonna talk up your game that way and then not deliver you know, that's the the onus is on you. Yeah. And they're not the only ones guilty of something like that. I mean, uh, I don't know if you remember Peter Molyneux and the major hype he gave to Fable or Milo <laughs> and all those crazy sure. little projects he did. For uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is, so uh, there is one weird thing about this E3 announcement that apparently is going to be a big deal. Uh because I, I watch all the, the major press conferences, and uh, according to this little uh, blurb out from, from the E3 peeps, uh, companies that will be present would be uh, Nintendo, Microsoft, 
aka the Xbox, uh, Capcom, Konami, Ubisoft, Take-Two Interactive, Warner Brother Games, and Coke Media. That's a weird one. But, Coke? Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Didn't know they were getting into the industry. Coke Media, yeah. Uh, that's an odd one. And, but the big glaring, like, missing anomaly here is, uh, where's Sony? Sony's not here. There's no mm. Sony. No Sony at E3. What's up with that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, again, even before the pandemic, uh, E3 was becoming something of a non-entity um, because of how you know so many of these uh, publishers and, and things like that are, are trying to speak directly to their consumers now with digital events. You know, State of Play, Nintendo Directs, what have you. Um, does Sony think that they're too good for E3? That Do they think that it's uh, a waste of their time? I mean, based on, what was it? I think maybe not the last E3 that we had, but the one before that, where they shepherded journalists to a bunch of different uh, auditoriums. And oh, yeah. Let, they flubbed them so watch. hard. <laughs> I bad. mean... Uh, maybe maybe moving on from E3 isn't a bad move for them. But uh, actually, you know, I think if... that was three E3s ago, because yeah, yeah. the the year later they they didn't do anything, and then the year after that, which was the past twenty twenty uh, uh, lockdown stuff, they didn't obviously no one could do an E3 then. So I think. Yeah, I, I think Sony has like, uh, what's the word, uh, PTSD over their really bad last E3 presentation, which was that sort of uh, herding of people from uh, from one arena to another, and that, that did not work well. Yeah, so, you know, um, if if they're not going to be at E3, I would assume that they are going to put something together around that time to kind of compete in the in the space and whether they do it before or after uh e3 you know does take place i i think that might benefit them in some ways yeah all right uh we got a couple last little uh tidbits of news you want to you want to tackle these uh sure uh just just a few uh things to to throw out there um relatively recent updates uh, as of this recording um children of morta just got a Big uh, patch, a, a little bit of uh, free um, DLC, which, uh, again, I think they have been pretty strong advocates of, of not uh, offering paid DLC, offering a lot of uh, free updates, um, although they did have a, a great um, benefit uh, for for animals uh, with with a, a bit of paid B, uh, DLC. I forget what exactly uh, that entailed, but I know it was in benefit of uh, of, of animals in particular. But uh, this this update is pretty substantial. Uh, it adds kind of a, uh, a I don't want to say a hard mode or an endless dungeon, but it's definitely a unique dungeon. It's called the Family Trials mode. Um, you know, you've got some some revamped systems and and things like that in order to work uh for this mode um and that's neat because children of morta is a neat game uh in in my personal uh, yeah. opinion i i've yeah. quite enjoyed it the game the game's uh, really good so and this is uh free right 
Uh, it is free, yes. Uh, yeah, that, so that they're is, already that's, enhancing. That's the part. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, n- nothing to um, complain about that. So, And what about uh, yeah. Star Renegades? Yeah, also received a, a patch, which, listen, uh, I'm not sure if anyone knows of, of what Star Renegades is. Um, I'm familiar with the title in particular just because I played uh, the developer's previous work, which was called Halcyon 6, which was good up until it wasn't. Um, and this game uh, was not good um, <laughs> on release. Uh, it had a lot of performance issues. Yeah. Uh, and um, that's that's always unfortunate to see because it does cripple a lot of people's interest. But they have just released a pretty substantial patch that is a little bit later uh, than some other platforms just because uh, I think Nintendo worked pretty closely with them regarding you know how to uh, go through uh, their certification uh, process for submitting patches, but also uh, kind of worked with them in terms of uh, just making sure that the game would operate best on Switch. And this is apparently uh, a much improved version uh, of this, I mean, if you take a look at the the article that that we uh, have in front of us, uh, there's some pretty substantial uh, fixes and improvements. Yeah, and and uh, for people listening and, and watching the article, uh, it's Nintendo Everything. Uh, they have sort of a report on the latest uh, Star Renegades patch. It's substantial. This is big. Yeah. There's there's a lot of improvements. They added some some new content, and, and it's not trivial. There's some decent new content there. Massive amount of improvements and fixes, and then also another massive amount of balance changes. Yeah, which again, you know, the game itself it looks incredible. It uh, does. It's, yeah. just, it's just a gorgeous game, um, and. You know, based on what I've seen of of Halcyon uh, Six, you know their gameplay systems and what I've played of of Star Renegades too. Their gameplay systems are, uh, they're they they're functional. That it, it's it should work as a as a as a sci-fi themed uh, you know turn-based uh, battle system. Um, but it it's just nice to see that it's going to be running smoother. And I'm going to give it a, a much more honest chance now that uh, that these improvements have been made. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to the main topic. And the main topic is Monster Hunter Rise, our uh, collective uh, impressions and and pseudo review. Now, you haven't picked this up yet. What's what's the rationale for that? Um, I mean, unfortunately, this game is coming at a... uh, not so great time in my uh i don't want to say personal life but i've just got other things that i've got to uh to focus on right now and to me um you know i know that if i pick up a monster hunter game i'm gonna sink an ungodly amount of time into it i just know that and so i i need to just remove that temptation of even doing that from my life and so that's why i have to just forgo this right now you know uh, in terms of releases too, yes, Rise will get a discount at some point. And price isn't a huge factor for me, but I do know that I'll be able to come back in and enjoy the game, um, especially you know if they continue to trickle out these, these updates that seem to be the, the case with this. So I did play the demo, 
Um, and yeah, you know, I have some thoughts about that, but you know, you, you have a little bit more experience of the game. So I defer to you, uh, on, on the topic in particular. Yeah. Um, and, and I've, I've, uh, read and watched various, uh, reviews and impression pieces of, of other, you know, getting, getting other collective, uh, opinions from, from various other sources and uh based on you know as i said i the credits have rolled but uh that's probably the i wouldn't even say the halfway point for the game but we could for the sake of brevity it's the halfway point when the credits actually roll because there's still so much more to do after that uh most of it is going to be in the hub area there's essentially two major parts of the area uh to the game there's the the village type stuff which is all of your solo only activities and then there's the hub which can be co-op multiplayer and you can also solo it you can random group up with other individuals on those quests as well and those quests in general are going to start at a higher uh difficulty level um so for example think of um those quests being one star higher than what the village quests star ratings would be and in some cases, it might be two stars higher. And, th and that's kind of the, the difficulty uh, difference between the two. So if you just start off and do the hub quest, then yeah, you're, you're going to get a difficulty that's going to be kind of normal with a Monster Hunter game. But if you start on the village quest stuff, it is easier. Um, it is a... I would say they refined the pacing of the single-player Monster Hunter experience to be more beginner friendly and that sort of um what used to happen in monster hunter games is you would there would be bumps <laughs> difficulties uh difficulty bumps along the road as you progress and, and get acquire better skill player skill in playing in in adapting to how monster hunter want demands of you uh for playing and they've smooth that out this is probably the smoothest boat to hop on and just cruise along i did not fail a single mission throughout the mm -hmm. single player uh adventures not one there was mm -hmm. absolutely no failure i didn't have to i didn't cart three times on on the same mission and have to redo it that did not happen which is interesting because that has happened to me on pretty much all other monster hunter games that i've played through before then and i've played um i think this is my fifth one right i started on try did three ultimate did uh generations uh played a little bit of the demo of uh generations ultimate didn't really care for it because it was too much like generations but on switch so i, I was just like eh, it's it's a 3ds game on switch I, i'm done with that and really? Got so you skipped four. I did skip four. Uh, and then I also did uh, uh, Monster Hunter World uh, mm -hmm. and went deep into that because that was where Monster Hunter needed to go, the direction. And Rise is kind of a continuation of that. And it's like a beautiful continuation because it takes a whole lot of good improvements from World but also doesn't forget about what it where it came from with generations and try and and all the all the other older style monster hunter games and it's this to me it seems like this perfect balance of the two that works out super well now it won't be as immersive 
of a graphical experience as world that that much is pretty much obvious but it uh it is certainly in my opinion certainly the best iteration of monster hunter to date there is lots of variety there uh it is a it is a little uh quicker to sort of get through the single player content the village quests and it does feel a little uh i guess limited per se but when you that's just the village stuff when when you go into the the whole hub world content of things there's so much there and there's way more monsters large monsters to hunt uh in this form without the dlc stuff that that's going to be free and coming out uh there's so much more in there versus what world had at launch so it's already a bigger package regarding monster types than world it's just not a bigger package regarding uh biomes and 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 sort of uh the land that you can explore around um but it's it feels just right it it really does and then you combine all that with the new gameplay mechanics and there's really uh two major ones and one is the palamute and the other one is the wirebug and that's those two things really do change monster hunter in a massive massive way just just fundamentally different ways to play the game and fundamentally funner ways to play the game just by a lot there's no going back i mean i i remember back when uh for you uh came out and you know for you was the uh, additional installment we we never got base for yep. um in in the uh, North American uh, territories, but uh, I do remember them them releasing a uh, just a developer notes uh, sort of commentary and saying, "Oh, you know, one of the new weapons that we wanted to uh, to implement into for you was this thing called a hunting hound, um, which would be like a, a creature that you rode on the back of and fought on top." And I was like, "Man." that shit sounds so cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like pal, the Palamutes are the, are the logical expression of that. Now, obviously you, you can't, you know, draw your weapon while you're on top of them, but you, you can move around and, uh, and, and uh, express yourself and, and gather and attack and even use items. Uh, and so, just as a, an extension of your arm, uh, in in some ways, I feel that they are. Uh, I agree. I I love the concept. Um, I wish that there was a little bit more combat that you could do on them. Um, and I think that if they wanted to go in that route, they should have focused on that rather than the wire bug. Um, but wire bug is fine too. <laughs> uh, and and the wire bug is, it's a neat. Um, concept you know i i think this whole idea of cooldowns adding cooldowns to uh monster hunter is smart i i actually think that is a, a wise choice because it just gives you another sort of resource to be mindful of um you know aside from stamina aside from sharpness aside from all the you know varied things that monsters are going to be throwing at you um and it's it's just a it's a neat mechanic um it it's i i agree with a lot of the things that you're saying um you know uh, obviously you're always going to get those articles i i think i saw uh 
either Polygon or Kotaku, you know, complaining about how uh, Monster Hunter matchmaking is terrible. And it's like, eh, I mean, it, it's it's obtuse in its own special way, um, but it's not terrible. Um, and yeah, I, I think the the part that makes it weird and, as you said, obtuse is uh, there's a lot of menus in Monster Hunter. There's menus upon menus upon menus, just lots of menus. And, you know, even if you want to learn how to play, you might have to do some menu diving, too. You know, there are things that you just might not be aware of. Um, But, you know, I I thought personally, back when I played for you, that that was the most accessible, approachable uh, Monster Hunter game. So to hear people saying the same thing about Rise is is great. Um, you know, I think again, I I just want more people to get into this series because it it's in so many ways just like the epitome of uh, a power trip. Um, you know, wielding a giant weapon and and fighting dinosaurs. Um, you know, what what could possibly get any better? Yeah, um, and and it has that uh, that aspect of get good that uh, a lot of people that that adore the uh, Souls-like series, uh, there's a whole lot of similarity in Monster Hunter, where your progression is tied entirely to uh, your gear, and you can only acquire new gear when you actually you know, hunt and, and slay a monster or capture. Uh, and if you, don't, if you cannot defeat a monster, then you cannot get the materials, the carvings, from that monster in order to get the gear that makes... That gives you the better stats. So it is the the embodiment of you gotta get good, otherwise you cannot progress. And yes, it's uh, it's not as uh, difficult as uh, some of the Souls like games, but these these fights, these very long boss fights, because uh, they're essentially nothing but boss fights, are long and they are difficult. They're just not you know souls level difficult but they are very difficult and they are challenging in i believe uh just the right way uh especially when you get to the high rank stuff and once you get into high rank things they ramp up that difficulty and then hopefully when they uh bring in g rank they ramp up that difficulty again and then it's like oh oh you gotta you gotta be on on the dime with everything that you do but you don't need to do high rank in order to beat the game so there's that Sure. You know, and again, in some ways, it feels unfair to compare, uh, you know, Dark Souls and, and Monster Hunter because they ultimately are are trying to do two very different things. Um, do they have similar stamina mechanics? Do they have similar, um, you know, I, I think when you when you integrate precise positioning uh, into any combat system, as is the case with uh with dark souls and with monster hunter for sure um you you add a a a, you add a skill i I don't even want to say it's a it's a ceiling um necessarily but it's almost just like it, it it is a it's a gut check you know so so to speak uh in in terms of of just making people think more about what combat looks like and and how combat plays and you know the the one thing that i think adds uh, a great deal more to monster hunter um 
and and I think uh, you know Souls does this. Uh, Souls likes do this very well too. Um, but I played uh, God Eater Three uh, for the site. I reviewed it for the site, and it is in a lot of ways similar to Monster Hunter. But uh, the attacks in that game lack, I think, a little bit of the weight and momentum that Monster Hunter animations have. And committal animations, I mean, that is the name of Monster Hunter's game. And yeah. so you're you're very right in saying that, yes, you do need that gear to get good, but if you are not good at just the the basics of of combat, you're not gonna have a good time with Monster Hunter. Yep. yep. Um, and that's and that's where the pacing uh that I mentioned earlier really comes into play where they throw the right types of monsters at you. Uh, and the and they do that in form of quests that you uh, take on, and they they do it in such a way that it does train you and 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 uh, sort of get give you sort of the means by which to improve your skill set because it's not going to throw the big giant monsters at you right off rip. It's going to throw the smaller ones, and it'll be small ones. For example, like the um, the Izuchi, which are kind of like the Jaggy. Uh, the Izuchi monsters at you that are easy to take out, and then you take out them, and you take out maybe a few other small ones for for quests, and then eventually you're gonna fight the great Izuchi as like your as your very first large monster hunt, and it's like the Izuchi, so you're you're kind of already kind of familiar with how to how to fight it, but it's obviously bigger, has way more health, uh, has pow- more powerful attacks. Uh, and but the movement set of that monster, there's similarities there that you can leverage, so you can sort of take your training from the the fodder Izuchi over to the greater uh, Izuchi and really start to to sort of work on that. And then from there, they throw another monster that's that is similar but different, and they they just keep having that go uh, in such a way that that the pacing just it just feels right especially for a for newcomers uh to the monster hunter franchise overall for me as uh as someone who's played multiple monster hunter games it felt too easy uh i wasn't getting that difficulty there for the village stuff but i was perfectly fine with it because it wasn't it wasn't too easy for the sake of making things trivial but it was on the easy side so for my liking, would I've would I've liked things to be a bit more difficult? Sure, but I completely understand what where they were going with as far as pacing for the single player content, and it does feel right. Just just uh, it it just it isn't easy to the point where it would upset uh, veterans uh, of Monster Hunter. Uh, and it is it does feel easy enough for newcomers to sort of uh, to not get <laughs> to not run into uh, the big large monster wall over and over again uh, like I've done in the past. Uh, I think the first time in try it was the the bear off that uh, that was my wall and I had to fight that monster. I don't know. It took me like five or six different hunts in order to maybe maybe up to ten hunts to finally take it down. Uh, that was that was my 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 wall to sort of uh, climb. And that, that was a, yes. that was a good feeling when you finally when you finally get over it. Yeah, the Bareth was uh, definitely a, a big uh, gate uh, for me as well. Um, and you know, again, I think 
when you're at the point that you are at uh, in particular, right? Um, you are ready to tackle those multiplayer quests. You're you're ready to tackle high rank and, and things like that. And so maybe getting this campaign out of the way faster um, with less difficulty is a good thing, but maybe you also do want a hint at, at what difficulty does lie uh, here. But I think ultimately this being a, a more uh, brisk experience doesn't doesn't take away from this uh, in any way, because I think you still have uh, really positive impressions of the game. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it's great to hear people enjoying it. It's great to see people enjoying it. Um, and the hope is, of course, uh, that more people get the opportunity to enjoy this uh, series, because, uh, again, it, it is extremely unique. Um, just as a concept, um, the way that it's executed. And I don't really think that anyone does it as well as Monster Hunter does. And, and we could talk about, uh, again, people who have attempted, uh, you know, God Eater being one example, um, Final Fantasy Explorers, which um, yep. was a, a, a sad, a sad thing. Uh, Dauntless <laughs> being probably the cl- one of the closer adaptations. Dauntless too. Uh, for sure, but uh, but nobody does it quite like Monster Hunter, and it seems that nobody does it quite like Monster Hunter Rise. So yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And and just to go a little bit back on the uh, Wirebug stuff, that is, as I said, uh, it is a game changer because it adds uh, an element that was kind of missing from Monster Hunter, which is uh, the encouragement to explore. It also adds the mobility stuff, which is an obvious given. But uh, this is probably more so than any other Monster Hunter game. You actually do want to explore each of the biomes, the the uh, the areas, the maps, the area maps that you can go into uh, to a significant degree. They they sort of hide um, various secretive nuggets throughout each of these things, and they are hidden. Oh, so well, and you have to be uh, very well versed on your wirebug capabilities in order to access these these hidden hidden little treasure troves that are that are around, and you get rewarded very well for doing that. So there is a major exploration factor that Monster Hunter it did have, but it with this new wirebug mechanic, it really does ramp it up to such a large degree, uh, especially with the verticality that uh, every map in this game has and the ability to uh, to just uh, move in a very vertical manner is just it is uh, liberating to say the least very liberating uh, it, they they need to take this mechanic for the next monster hunter game it needs to be a requirement that that's how good the wirebug uh, and Palamute sort of uh, stuff feels for it. So really good yeah. stuff. And and the last thing that I would say too is that to me, the progression of the series has been all about just improving your ability to uh, to be mobile. You know, um, I, I mean, I, I'm not the greatest fan of the insect glaive, uh, but jumping and and climbing and things like that, it just became such a huge element of for you and and everything that came after. Um, and I felt that that was a great addition. And so seeing more additions that 
that enable for more mobility, for more verticality, for more uh, engaging gameplay. Um, that that's just always satisfying to me. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, that's kind of a wrap on our uh, Moss Hunter Rise impressions slash review. Uh, moving on, uh, listener questions or lack thereof. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to hear from you. Remember, we're all about community here at Switch RPG Podcast. So, if you want to be a part of the show, you can email your feedback and questions regarding uh, anything that we talk about to podcast at switchrpg.com. Uh, you can also dive into our Discord server at discord.switchrpg.com and post anywhere along our channels and whatnot and just have a, have a little uh, chat. Uh, we want your questions, and we, we would love to respond to your questions uh, on, on our podcast. So, uh, so with that said, there are some uh, upcoming RPGs. On the 6th, we have a, a game called Breath Edge? Breathage? Uh, Breath Edge, yeah. Uh, this is a sci-fi simulation survival game. Um, I am actually reviewing it for the site right now, uh, and I didn't realize it actually came out yesterday. <laughs> so yeah. I guess I, I, I could talk about it a little bit more uh, freely, but I, I, I won't do that. Um, what I will say is it looks cool. Um, it's very quirky. Um, I would definitely give it a, a chance. Okay. And, and it does. it is a, a purdy game. It is. Got, it is indeed pretty. It's got some nice graphics. All right, coming out on the eighth of April, we have a game called "Don't Give Up: A Cynical Tale." Uh, yeah, this game gives me uh, personally uh, some uh, Y2K, a postmodern RPG vibes. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. I'm pretty sure this reviewed a whole lot better when this released uh, initially. I know that this is a port to Switch uh, in particular, but I, I am uh, curious about uh, what this game is all about. Yeah, it's a weird looking one. I, it's hard to tell what's going on in the game. But there's stuff. Always a good sign when you can't <laughs> tell what's actually going on. All right. Also on the 8th is another game called Astro Aqua Kitty. Yeah, it's uh you know, it's a shoot 'em up um that has some RPG elements in it. Um that's not my thing personally, but if you like shoot 'em ups but you don't want to die as frequently, I guess that would probably be a a good um yeah, and a good time it's thing. actually a good-looking game too. It's, yeah, for sure. It's real good looking. It, it's all sprite art uh, artwork going on here, and it's good looking sprites. There's uh, it's got the whole uh, kind of R typey type of thing. The UI looks good and clean. It it kind of has a good polish to it. This might be something uh, to uh, to pay attention to. It does release. On the eighth, so uh, I might have to uh, check it out because um, I like uh, I like space shooters, and uh, an RPG space shooter sounds like it's right up my alley. So yeah, I'm glad glad to see that uh, you've you've got some positive impressions. Just just from what I've seen, 
I, mean, I, I did not play it yet. Alright, uh, last game coming out on the 8th is uh, a game called Always Sometimes Monsters. And uh, I got I got a hand to you. This does not look good. <laughs> I I don't know I don't know what to say about this game. Um I'm I'm looking at screenshots. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Um but it's it's more of an adventure game I think than it is an RPG. Um and so that means I don't have to think about it as much because yep. I, that's not really my my style of game. All right. So on the 9th, uh, which would be this uh, upcoming Friday, there is a couple of games coming out. One of them called Ravensword Shadowlands. Yeah, I heard somebody describe this as like uh, an Elder Scrolls light, um, which judging by screenshots, that might be be how i would describe it it's not the prettiest yeah. looking game and, and um, by elder scrolls we're we're saying morrowind <laughs> not skyrim yeah, yeah yeah for sure um yes uh and so you know if, if that's maybe in your wheelhouse um i know that this is gonna be nice and cheap um so if you're looking for a little bit of that sort of action maybe give it a look i don't know yeah i mean it is uh gonna be selling for seven dollars so that is pretty cheap all right a biggie and i think a lot of people are gonna be uh, looking forward to this coming out on the 9th the legend of heroes trials of cold steel 4 don't die this game oh no <laughs> no that that's just a hot take from me personally um I made the mistake of reviewing uh, Cold Steel 3 um, without having played 1 and 2. Um, and despite that game having uh, a plot synopsis for the first two, uh, because for some reason it's really difficult to get those first two over uh, in the States, um, it's, this, is, this is a series that is hugely uh it's all about world building it's a very slow burn um so if you're looking for a game that is like uh, 70 to 90 hours of content yeah these games are for you but when i say that there's not a whole lot of plot development it's slow um and you if you are planning on picking up this series with four that's a huge mistake um, but with that being said, obviously those of us uh, who have played this series before and who have been waiting for the conclusion, I know it's out on other platforms, but it might just be nice to have on Switch. Um, I know that this is uh, highly anticipated, even if I personally have no love for it. Okay. <laughs> I, I was actually expecting uh, good things from that, but uh, word of caution. Word of caution. That, that's what I'm getting. All right. Coming out on the 15th, two final games, uh, the first of which, another doozy, Saga Frontier Remastered. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I, I, I guess I'm like a, I'm like, 
I'm skirting uh, the the engagement or uh, with with Saga. I've played uh, the Legend of Legacy and the Alliance Alive, which use a lot of Saga's mechanics, um, but are a little bit more modern uh, games in their own way. Um, and obviously, uh, our site director um, Ben is is just the biggest Saga fan in existence. So he is really hyped for this uh, remaster. And you know what? Maybe I think this might be a good time for me to dive into it. So um, I I think I'm definitely going to pick this one up. Yeah, and for me, it's this is a game that I will definitely dive into if it reviews well. As that that's my typical response for most games, but this is one that I I want <laughs> to review well. I do want yeah, sure. it to review well. All right. Last but not least, the last game coming out on the fifteenth. Uh, is Dyland Dyland Pocket I, Planet I, Edition? I want to say it's Dyland, Dyland, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> In any case, uh, I've heard from some other people that this is a uh, nice, prettier version of the original game. Um, that uh, plays a little bit smoother. Um, I think it looks adorable personally. Um, yeah. so I'm probably going to give this a shot. Um, but. That's all that I can really say about this. Yeah. yeah. All right. And that's um, going to wrap up this episode of the Switch RPG Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to send in your questions and comments. You can listen to the show each and every week at switchrpg.com, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you listen on an app, please give us a rating and review. Five stars, please. <laughs> we want to climb up the charts on those platforms. So your support there would be amazing. It would be. And finally, remember, you can head over to SwitchRPG.com for all your RPG new uh, needs for the Nintendo Switch. Until next time, I'll see you around. Take care. <laughs>